0: hello and welcome to master my garden podcast the podcast that helps you master your own garden with useful tips advice and know-how as you go on the way and journey of mastering your own garden i'm your host john jones and it's a pleasure to be with you here today so let's get stuck in to this week's episode How's it going everybody? Welcome to episode number 17 of Master My Garden podcast. In this week's episode we're joined by Dr. Brian Murphy. Brian is a senior scientist with Enrich Environmental and we talked to him about lots of things today. So some of the things we talk about are home composting, what's the best tips for, for composting at home ourselves. Now Enrich do that on a huge commercial scale but the principles are the same so when you break it down Brian gives us a good run through of how we can be successful creating our own compost. We then talk about the benefits of compost itself, the benefits within a garden. We talk about how we can improve soils if we have poor soils or poor areas within our garden. And then we talk about a little bit about environmental factors and how gardeners, while we might feel like at times there's not that much we can do in the overall fight against carbon emissions and so on, how there is actually some things that can have real benefit and real have a real impact, even though it's at a small scale within our gardens. So it's a really really int- interesting chat with Brian. Hope you enjoy it. So let's get stuck in to this week's episode. Okay, so Brian, so you're very welcome to Master My Garden Podcast. It's a it's a pleasure to have you on. There's a couple of topics here that we really want to get into in in some depth. But I suppose firstly Welcome to the show, and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a senior scientist with Enrich Environmental, so maybe tell us a little bit about your history, um, how you've become a senior scientist, and what it is that Enrich do, and what you do within that within that company currently. Yeah,
1: uh, thanks, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, you know, I suppose my own background is in environmental and analytical science. Um, I studied analytical chemistry in, in LIT in Limerick. And at the time, I was kind of gearing up to go into pharmaceutical companies. And I enjoyed lab work and that. But I also enjoyed the environmental side of it. And we did a lot of soil analysis and water analysis. And I graduated in 2008. So it was the height of a recession, not a good time to get a job. So I decided to go back uh, and do a postgrad. And that's how I really uh, started working in the environmental sector. I went to Dublin City University with Doctor, uh, studied under Doctor Brian Callagher there, and my research was all focused on uh, soil and specific, specifically tracking the fate of of carbon in soil. So,
0: okay.
1: that that's kind of how I I came to work specifically on on soils in 2014 when I was uh, finished my research. Uh, Enrich Environmental were funding, um, well Enrich Environmental and Enterprise Ireland were, were funding a, a research project into optimizing composting systems and looking at the breakdown of pollutants in composting systems. So I I worked as the, the post-doctorate researcher on, on that and that's how I started with Enrich. So from in around 2014 I was still with DCU but I was working closely with Enrich and then
0: uh, in 2016, when that project finished, I started working with Enrich full time as a senior scientist. Excellent. And so, Enrich in, in Environmental is quite a quite a big company uh, doing lots of diff- with lots of different arms to their business, including making compost, uh, soil soil testing, uh, making custom soil for big landscape projects, and so on. So, maybe just tell us a little bit about Enrich. And the different departments and the different you know areas of work that they that they specialize in yes
1: it's diverse i suppose it's all focused around uh soil and resource recovery and it has grown kind of organically for want of a better word where our founder uh tim duggan started it uh, by collecting uh marine waste from landscape uh, clearance and he he realized that there was a business potentially in composting. And this is in 2004 when, I guess, composting wasn't, it wasn't mainstream anyway. I mean, it, it's very topical now. People are very interested in composting as we all aim to become more sustainable. But at the time, it was a, a very novel idea. And it, mm-hmm. it grew from there. We started uh, with, with composting and uh, looked at different, recovering different resources. So we, at the moment, we're at the largest producer of peat-free soil products in Ireland. And I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about peat-free, but um, we our, our main ingredient in all our soil products is the compost that we produce on site from green material. That so when people go to their local civic community site and they dump their trailer load of green from their garden, that potentially ends up coming to our site. So we have we have a few sites in Ireland. Uh, since two thousand and fifteen, or uh, in two thousand and fifteen, we were contracted to set up, uh, run, and develop a site in the United Arab Emirates in the city of Al and we're we're fairly proud of that one because we in in United Arab Emirates there's no history of composting whatsoever. All the organic material was going to landfill, uh, so we diverted. When we finished that contract uh, only last year, that site is now the, the largest producer of compost in the United Arab Emirates, processing wow. 25,000 tonnes of material.
0: And and how did that project, just uh, not specifically relating to, to gardeners in Ireland, but how did that project come about? That's a, that's a very interesting one.
1: Well, through, through our links with Enterprise Ireland as well. So Inter, um, Enterprise Ireland had funded or were funding the project that we had with DCU and then uh, Enterprise Ireland uh, uh, met the, had met with the company in the UAE, um, uh, Emirates Environmental Technologies, and they were looking for a composting expert, which I suppose the, there isn't too many of, and Enterprise Ireland knew of us, and they are trying to develop Irish business, obviously, abroad. Yeah. And so that's how we ended up working in the UAE.
0: Nice. Nice, interesting project, R.H., yeah. Right. yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, so... It was, diverting waste from landfill there and uh, even trying to develop a market for compost there was was a challenge because like i said there was absolutely no history of compost production in in the uae but the soil what they call soil there is sand so it is obvious it was an easy sell eventually once we built up the market because compost and organic matter is exactly what sandy soil needs
0: okay yeah so it made sense for them and so yeah so that's the the sort of composting side of it, uh, and I know you make you make specific composts now. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that and and the other arms of of enrich.
1: Yeah, in um, in in Ireland, probably our our main horticultural products are uh, specialist soils for landscaping. We do green roof substrates. We do specialist tree soils. Uh, we The compost we produce in uh, one of our main sites in Kilcock is certified organic. Like all all the material is coming from recycled green. So a lot of effort goes into removal of plastic and glass because we can't always rely on people to properly separate their waste. And I suppose that it, it's something that we try to encourage is that people properly separate their waste so that when they do dump a load of green materials, that it is just green material. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, we, we have put an awful lot of processing into removing contaminants from that. So it, it, the, most of the compost that we actually produce in is sold through our stockists, and we've stockists across the country. So anyone that has used our products has probably got it from a, a stockist. And we sell it in bulk. we have kind of wholesale. We don't deal directly with the public for small loads but we we wholesale to uh, stockists. And then out of selling soils and dealing with landscapers, we've built a business of soil testing assessments, writing soil specifications and managing soils, particularly for um, remediation of sites. So uh, we we remediate mine tailings and Mm -hmm. we did work in the likes of Lachine mine where uh, we look at the soil that's already on site. Sometimes it's not suitable for growing anything. We look at what amendments we can source locally, and we try to manage the resource because soil is an important natural resource. So that's what we're trying to conserve: conserve soil on site. Okay. Very
0: good. And and that kind of leads us on to to soil itself. And in in gardens, obviously, soil is is varied across the country, but. And it's hugely important. It is. It's a hugely important resource. But probably soil quality is overlooked a little bit, not just in terms of gardeners, but in terms of farmers, gardeners, landscapers. They overlook the quality of the soil um, at the early stages, and that can lead to problems down the line. So maybe just talk a little bit about soil and how your soil works, how we can improve it if we if we do have poor quality soils and so on
1: yeah yeah i totally agree that i mean it's like it's like air and water soil is it's it's part of our planet's life support system and we have a water framework directive and we have a, an air pollution directive both directives that protect air and water there a soil directive was proposed but it was uh it, it, i think there was a it was blocked by certain member states but we should be protecting our soil because soil cleans our air, it cleans our water, it provides us with food, materials, produce clothing, shelter. So it, it is often overlooked. And whether you're looking at it from an agriculture point of view or a gardening point of view, I mean it's it's a medium for plant growth. It it supplies nutrients. It it's it's part of water regulation. And I think especially now When we do seem to have drier periods that building resilience into our soils is so important that a resilient soil that has good water holding capacity will will be more um i suppose will will support plants during prolonged periods without rain and it's like you said it's about managing it from the start that's the easy so at the start of in a housing estate for example if your backyard in your new house is you're probably looking at a subsoil. It's it's going to suffer from compaction. It's probably got too much clay in it. But if you put resources into the soil early on, at early stages of your garden, uh, you'll you'll benefit uh, for the rest of your, your your time in that garden because when you build in resilience into that soil, you you know down the line you won't have plant failures. In the same in agriculture. In, across Europe, we're losing it's estimated you know, over a billion euros a year in uh, productivity due to soil erosion and soil loss, and a lot of it is down to some of the management practices that are used at the minute. They're they're not correct. We've we've followed this route of high you know tillage and high chemical fertilizer application, and actually we're not really building a soil a good soil ecosystem a
0: resilient soil ecosystem yeah um, we might just take, take a step back for a second because you, you touched on something there and it's a very very regular question that i get is that um i have a back garden and as you rightly said the the back gardens of particularly estate houses tend to be uh, very highly compacted and with poor quality soils generally because if you think about it a lot of the a lot of the pipework from the house runs out into those back gardens and then is collected and taken away through one major channel out of there. So there tends to be a lot of machinery in around there at the very end stages when when the groundworks are being finished and literally in around those pipes is being is being filled back in with basically any type of soil and they might be getting a skin on the top of it. Now I don't. I suppose every builder is not doing it in the exact same way, but it is certainly a very, very regular question that I've moved into my new house, the garden is waterlogged, or I've, I'm have i in it two years and the shrubs are dying, and that type of thing. So you said to put resources in at the start. So what exactly are we talking about mm-hmm. here to improve a situation like that?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, you're right. It can be, It's you're probably looking at a subsoil that could have been brought from anywhere. It's been tracked across. And any soil that is overworked, will lose its structure and structure so when we talk about structure it's not the same as so texture is your sand silt your clay the percentages Mm -hmm. the structure is how those soil particles bind uh, together and in a good soil structure you should have good drainage but also good water holding capacity good soil structure will also mean that it's not compacted and when you plant your shrubs the roots can move through the soil so when shrubs fail, for example, in, in a soil like that, it's probably due to compaction. Roots can't move through the soil. Compacted soil can also become anaerobic. So in you kind of have to look at the physical chemical and the biological aspects of soil. But it's that sounds like it's a complicated thing. But an easy assessment to do, for example, would be if you uh, do a soil texture by hand. So in your garden, dig, dig up some of your soil and wet it up a little bit, roll it in your hands, and if it forms a ball, if it form, forms long ribbons when you try to roll, like it's like play dough for example, if you can make a sausage shape yeah. out of it there's too much clay, it's, very, it's heavy in clay. Um, another basic test you can do is a percolation test. Dig, dig a hole uh, uh, 12, 12 inches by 12 inches and 12 inches deep, fill it with water, let it saturate and drain, then fill it again, and measure the drop in water over an hour if it's greater than four millimeters per hour it's pretty good Uh, if it's less than four millimeters per hour well then you've got poor drainage so i mean soil compaction it can be easy enough to assess as well um if you take a sharp stick and push it into the ground you'll get an idea of what the compaction is like sometimes that that can be useful to find you might find the top 10 centimeters is okay but below that you've got a hard pan and that's an issue as well. So I I would actually say compost, I know I'm, I'm selling compost obviously, but I I actually think it's overlooked quite a lot because it is such a simple thing. It, but compost can improve numerous aspects of your your soil if, if you're adding organic matter. So the cation exchange capacity is the ability of your soil to hold on to nutrients. And it's also... Cation exchange capacity helps form structure in soil, and soil get soil gets that from organic matter and clay. So you've you've already got plenty clay in a, in this case. I'm going in an Irish context. Yep. Generally, Irish soils are, are heavier in, in clay, but organic matter is going to help reduce the bulk density. For want of a better way, it'll make the soil lighter because organic matter is light. It'll fluff up the soil. For want of a better word. It'll improve drainage. It'll also improve plants uh, available water for plants. Now that sounds like a contradiction, but drainage and water availability for plants are are not actually you know they're they're not the same thing because we want to look at drainage where water in a heavy rainfall event water should percolate down through the soil, yeah. but you want the organic matter to hold on to some water. So in in the case of a back garden. Where you have compaction and clay, I'd be look, spread two to three inches of, of compost or organic matter, a good organic matter. Odor. I mean, peat is okay, but peat has no nutrients, peat has no microbiology in it. While with compost, one of the main benefits is that you suppose, a bare soil in your back garden is not going to have much microbiology, and plants need healthy microbiology in the soil, and plants actually make soil. I haven't kind of mentioned that yet, but really, soil is made by plants. Otherwise, soil is just mineral material. The organic material in soil comes from plants. So in your back garden, you need to get microbiology in. And there are products, you see lots of products available about building the microbiology in your, in your soil. But compost will do that because compost has gone through a microbial process. So if you spread two to three inches of that on your soil and then rotavate it or... Harrow that in. Now, it's a bit of work, obviously, but the best way to use it is to work it into the soil. You can use it as a mulch yep. in the future, but the best way to use it is to work it into the soil okay. and avoid overworking that soil in, in your back garden as well.
0: I think that's possibly why it's overlooked is that when someone moves into a, you know, a new house they, and the garden is already, the, the back garden or the front garden is already sowed and you have to have this lawn and at that point, they probably think that's a good garden. I just need to start mm-hmm. adding in my flowers, and they, they maybe don't think that it could be, you know, compacted or poor quality or subside or whatever it is until a little bit down the line, and they see this problem, whether that's waterlogged lawns or, or dying shrubs or whatever it is. So that's a good t- yeah. that good tip is to maybe at the very start think of it and have a look and see see is it good, and then yeah, have a dig, have a dig, yeah, dig, have yeah. A dig around yeah. as you say at that point. And maybe it's a good time to distinguish between compost and what people have come to know as compost, as, as you kind of touched on there a minute ago. So compost is organic materials um, rather than peat moss, which, which people have come become accustomed to.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it hasn't done compost, true compost, any favours, I think. Because when you go into a DIY store and you buy a bag of compost, the majority of the time, that's 90% peat and some sand or I know companies have made the effort to put some green material in to reduce the use of peat, which is a finite resource. But peat is not compost because peat has not gone through the degradation, the thermophilic degradation process. So th- thermophilic degradation is the act of composting produces heat. So it's, it's referred to as thermophilic. So when, when in rich produced compost, it has gone through a 12 to 14 week process of degradation. So we're taking in fresh green material um, we, sh- we shred it down, we add water, we, we put it into large piles called windrows, and we manage the temper- we manage the oxygen and the water level and we get temperature as a result, and that breaks down. The fresh organic material and recycled, so the nutrients that were in the plant that was delivered to us, the plant that was cut down, the hedging or grass, is concentrated. All those nutrients are concentrated and transformed into a, a compost. While peat has been produced over thousands or hundreds or thousands of years at the bottom of a lake, um, where it's been leached because it's in a it, it, there's a lot of water passing through, it. it's very low in nutrients. It's virtually sterile, but then again, that makes it a good material for germinating seeds. So that's just when people talk about a compost and they're looking at a bag of compost in in a DIY store, it's probably peat. True compost has gone through a composting process. So
0: in order to improve the back garden that we've found is in poor condition, we're talking about adding actual compost rather than peat moss. And I think that's just an important distinction to make at this point. But yeah. that kind of leads us on to the next part of the conversation, which is, is composting. And you've obviously talked about the large scale composting that, that you guys in, in Rich do. Um, but in terms of home gardening, again, it's, it's something that I see a lot of. So someone is obviously interested in creating their own compost. They see that there's the possibility with grass clippings and so on. But I think a regular thing is that they, they buy their compost bin or they create their compost heap they throw everything in onto it and then very quickly they, they have a big pile of sludge and they're wondering where they went wrong. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about home cost, home composting, what we can put into it, what we can't put into it, possibly the ratio between green and brown, uh, the length of time maybe that we
1: need to leave it and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I think uh, it's definitely more topical now and, I mean, the The great thing about composting is you're you're taking that material out of the waste cycle. So rather than ending up in in landfill, if you don't have a a composting bin, which some people still don't, if you put that material in a black bin, it eventually ends up in uh, or in a municipal waste bin, I should say. That eventually ends up in landfill, where it could produce methane and methane. Where well, it will produce methane. Methane is 18 times more potent carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. So it's, it's just to get the point across, I suppose it's, it's a very admirable, admirable thing to start doing composting at home. And I know it's, it's not straightforward. I think it's like, uh, like you mentioned grass there, people are inclined to throw everything into their compost bin. And look, they look at the compost bin as a solution to waste, mm-hmm. where I think the mindset needs to be, I'm using this compost bin to produce a good compost it just if there's a, a a slight change in the way you look at the compost bin because if you obviously you know this time of year we all have lots of grass clippings available in our garden if we just dump lots of grass clippings into the bin it's too much uh, green material it's it's going to go anaerobic it's going to become sloppy waste it won't compost so i think when you're approaching uh, a compost bin or a compost heap look at it as a way of producing a good compost which is going to be a benefit to your garden and really to do that you need to look at getting a balance an equal mix of green and brown material now green green material is your grass fresh leaves kitchen waste that's it's nitrogen rich material brown materials are your woody material so our our dry autumn leaves will be a, a brown material but also cardboard or straw or eggshells, that they're carbon-rich material. So any e- an equal balance of those uh, is, a, is a good way to look at the compost pile. And then um, if you're using a, a compost bin, you can use a compost bin or you can create a compost pile using pallets. Some people use pallets. Um, just don't use a treated pallet, that would be uh, advice. Yep. If you use treated wood, you can end up damaging the microbiology in the process. Um, but then, use look at it like making a, a cake. I guess it's layers. So if you start with a five centimeter layer of brown material, then go a five centimeter layer of green, and build it up in five centimeter layers, equal proportions of brown and green. Now that's kind of a batch approach. I know some people are kind of an as you go approach, where they're adding waste to it constantly. Just have bear in mind that if you've added a lot of Grass clippings uh in the last week, look to find some brown material to balance that out, so add in some woody material um Another tip would be just to, at the start, make the effort to cut stuff up into less than two inch pieces. If you put in a full branch into your compost heap, more than likely you'll be looking at a branch in in six months yeah. time. you know if that's not going to break down I mean one of the things we even do that enriches, shred all that material because the more surface area and the more porous the material, the better, the more uh, surfaces for the microbiology to attack. And it, and it is driven by microbiology, so bear in mind that microbes like to be, they like to have food, air, water and they like to be warm. So if, if your compost heap is, is too, has too much green material, it's too wet, add some brown material Otherwise, it can go anaerobic, and that means there's not enough oxygen. Uh, the other thing is, you should turn it weekly. Get your garden forks into it and and turn it weekly. The more you turn it, the better compost you'll have. And at the end, you'll know it's it's ready when it starts to smell uh, like soil. It shouldn't you shouldn't be able to see too much of the starting material, or it shouldn't be still similar to what it looked like at the at the start okay but don't don't be too picky i guess when you're home composting if you have a bit of eggshell or there's still a bit of a twig left in it like it's not going to make a huge difference you can sieve it if you want but if you're using it as a mulch or you're mixing it into your soil it won't make a huge difference if you can still visibly see some pieces okay just
0: just i'll recap on those if you don't mind so we're talking roughly 50 50 green to brown waste and the green waste is your kitchen waste fresh fresh clippings from hedges and so on and and grass and then brown waste is straw cardboard woody material and just on the woody material are we so you you're saying chop it up into kind of two inch pieces but what's the kind of biggest diameter of of piece that you would put in like you're not going to put in a big branch i would assume so what is the kind of smallest or the, the biggest piece that you can put in
1: i i would say two two inches if you can get it down to that that size yeah. now if um with some materials like leaves or hedge trimmings, if you trim your hedge you're not going to go to the butter. you put your lawnmower to use put the you know put put the material on the ground as long as it's not something that's going to damage your lawnmower yeah. but if it is hedge clipping lay it down on the, the lawn, run the lawnmower over, collect it in the bag, and that shreds it for you. So Good tip. Just, uh, the other thing you can go to, there is a composting and anaerobic digestion association. They're called CRE I E. Uh, if you go to their website, actually, they have a good list of what is brown material, what is green material.
0: Okay, and that's CRE.ie, is said.
1: CRE the CRE father was CRE dot. You'll get the Okay, there, perfect. Yeah. I, I'll Great. add
0: that into the show notes anyway. Uh, yeah. So we fifty fifty mix green to brown. We're turning it weekly. What length of time then? If you have a, a standard compost bin and you have it topped up weekly, or sorry, you're you're topping it up and you're putting it in in kind of two inch layers. You said was it two? Inch yeah,
1: inch, yeah, five centimeter yeah. layers. Yeah, two. So
0: yeah. so what length of time does it create? Does it take to create a good quality compost then?
1: I, I minimum probably three three months. If you're turning weekly air, aerobic composting, it, it might heat up. But if your pile isn't large enough, you can you can check the temperature with a simple uh, kitchen thermometer if you have one as well. It, it is worth checking to see if it's heating up. If it's heating up, you you potentially will get a good compost in in three months. Okay. But when I say heating up, it, it needs to go past. 40 45 degrees even to 50 degrees and ideally to kill weed seeds it needs to go up past uh, 55 degrees and i guess i didn't mention there that just be careful what you're putting into the bin because in industrial composting like we do it in rich we're monitoring it to make sure it gets above 55 degrees so that kills pathogens so any salmonella or e. coli, or anything like that it kills weed seeds as well Um, So our compost is weed seed free, but in your case at home, I'd avoid putting in meat or fish, uh, avoid putting in any uh, animal litter, so cat or dog litter. And also, I'd avoid putting in any of these uh, compostable cups or compostable materials because if you look at the standards, there's there's a European standard for compostable materials, they're only compostable in an industrial composting system so coffee cups or anything like that would avoid putting them in your compost heap. okay
0: that's a good point and it's good actually that you you mentioned um weed weed if you're if you're pulling weeds they can actually be added to the compost peat now you wouldn't add anything with a long tap root or anything like that but but normal weeds mm-hmm. can be added in and and the temperature then kills the seeds and i think a lot of people don't quite know what to do when they pull when they pull weeds, but it it is true that you can add them to your compost heap.
1: Yeah, you can. Yeah, and in a good three hundred liter compost bin, so maybe a family of four, a three hundred liter bin and probably be around the right size. You sh- you should be able to get temperature in that if your bin is three quarters full because it's the microbes produce the the heat. So the more work the microbes are doing, the more heat they're producing. So that's why you kind of need a good, a decent-sized pile to get the temperature, and then it becomes self-insulating as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, if you keep an eye on the temperature, and you're getting up to fifty, fifty-five degrees, well then you could get a good compost in in three months.
0: Yeah, and and just on that on that scenario there, where you're you're saying a family of four with a compost bin, in reality, do they need two compost bins? So you have one that's active, and you're filling it on on your weekly basis, and and turning it and adding your waste. And does it get to a point where you need to shut off that and let it do its thing, and while that's happening, then start filling another one? Is that what needs to happen, or can you work with one bin? Uh,
1: you can work you can work with one bin because you'll you'll probably find come October November you're not producing a lot of uh, material, so you could look at the season a seasonal cycle for a compost, maybe where you might produce two batches during the summer so between now and uh september or october you might pr- have produced two batches but then you could leave it over the winter as well for spring when you're planting again in in spring a second bin i, I if you're doing a batch system a second bin would be great if you're doing a system where you're continuously adding material you, sh- you should be able to do it in one bin i think okay perfect
0: and just to, to just to round off then, we, I know we touched on it a little bit, but the benefits of compost within the garden of actual com- compost rather than the rather than the you know what people have come to perceive as compost. Maybe you just talk through those a little bit.
1: Yeah, so we've I suppose we we've done a lot of research that in enrich as well because it's it's becoming more soil health and healthy soil microbiome especially is becoming more topical and it is in agriculture it is and it is in gardening because people are starting to realize that a a healthy soil microbiome results in a healthy plant and compost is one of these materials that supports and provides a healthy soil microbiome so it has a lot of microbiology in it it's a very microbial rich material because like i said it's gone through a composting process and We've looked at the microbes in it, so you have flavobacterium and pseudomonid strains associated with nitrogen fixation. Compost also stimulates mycorrhizal fungi, and these are becoming very topical now, um, arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, because they extend the length of your plant root and make more nutrients available in the soil. And we've done trials and shown that Organic or, or organic compost stimulates these mycorrhiza, but I guess it's it's also compost is a releases nutrients, and the benefit of it is it's a slow release nutrient. So it, it wouldn't have a huge amount of nitrate, phosphate, but it has a huge amount of organic nitrogen, organic phosphorus, and in combination with the right microbiology, the, these nutrients are are slowly available, and it's also got a huge amount of micronutrients because like I said earlier it's coming from if you if a tree comes into us and we shred the tree and we compost that tree every nutrient a macro and micronutrient that tree took up during its lifetime we're concentrating it back down into a bag of compost so it is a, a nice balanced soil improver and that's the way I would describe compost is that it's a soil improver as opposed to being a growing media on its own, it it works best when it's amended into a soil or top top dressed or mulched onto the top of the soil. No, I mean, no dig approaches are becoming popular, yeah. where each year a layer of compost is work is placed on top of the soil, maybe an inch or two inches, and the plants and the microbiology and the, and the worms in the soil will work the compost down into the soil for you. So it it. And in terms of, we kind of mentioned carbon earlier, but soil is a huge carbon sink and compost is a a way of sequestering carbon. So, for example, every tonne of compost you use in your garden locks up about 400 kg of carbon dioxide. And that's because our material is 40 to 50% organic matter. And organic matter is carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and it's 57% carbon. So... Not only are you diverting waste from landfill, but you're sequestering carbon in your soil, and that's stable carbon. So to put it in context, the carbon footprint of, I think an Irish person is estimated at about 12 tonnes per year of CO2. And if you use two tonnes of compost, you're locking up about one tonne of CO2. So it's significant.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing fact, and, and, and I suppose a lot of a lot of the time people in in gardens whether it be a small garden or a big garden they they kind of feel a little bit powerless in you know the the climate change fight to a certain extent i know they they plant trees and that's beneficial and so on but in terms of carbon they they possibly feel a little bit helpless there but the fact that you're saying a a cubic meter is it of compost will hold 400 kilos well, of carbon
1: so, so yeah a, a ton, yeah, a ton would be about two cubic meters because it, it's about 500 kg per cubic meter because it's light. And again, that, like I said, it, that's a, an advantage too that it lightens up heavy clay soil. Yeah.
0: So the, it, yeah, that's that's massive. And of course, as you rightly said, that initially would have been going to landfill and would have turned into methane. So it's it's a sort of a a, a double benefit there.
1: Yeah, and potentially as well, your when you have a healthy soil microbiome coming from having... So when you add compost, you're improving the structure. You're getting better aggregation, better drainage. Organic matter gives you water, plant water-holding capacity, so you're improving resilience for plants. It's providing long-term, uh, slow-release nutrient, macro and micronutrients. Uh, so therefore, you're going to get better root development. You're going to get a healthier soil microbiome. Plants make soil not only by the traditional way people think that carbon gets into the soil is that a plant grows, it dies, it rots into the soil. But actually, while plants are living, they sequester a huge amount of carbon. So your shrubs out there are actually sequestering carbon. And they're doing that because when a plant takes up CO2, it releases carbon in the form of sugar and carbohydrates through, through its roots to stimulate the microbes that i mentioned earlier so the mycorrhizae the fungi and the like because the plant is trying to stimulate those microbes to get the nutrients it requires and it's kind of a drawback of using too much chemical fertilizer that if you use too much chemical fertilizer you're disrupting that uh symbiotic relationship because the plants are releasing are, are taking up carbon releasing it through the roots into the soil so that's locking up carbon but if you, yeah. if you start giving up sense too much available phosphate, nitrate, it'll no longer do that because it no longer needs those nutrients. It doesn't need to stimulate the yeah. microbes in the soil. So in, in certain cases, obviously in garden settings and pots and things, your MPK fertilizers still give you the green-up effect. But especially in agriculture now, I think for long-term resilience, actually trying to manage the soil, soil microbiome, uh, is becoming more
0: important for to build resilient soils. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. Um, it's funny you you mentioned mycorrhizal there, and I have an episode coming up in a couple of weeks on mycorrhizal. It's it's kind of a little known, a little known wonder, I suppose. um yeah. That, that I, I, gardeners are starting to become aware of it, but it's it's an amazing. Fungi, mm-hmm. and uh, the benefit of it in the garden, uh, the benefit in 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 any situation is great. But for gardeners, it's a huge benefit there, and it's, it's it's funny you mentioned that one. It is a naturally occurring thing, but it seems to have yeah,
1: and it and it's it's easy enough to manage. It can be applicable in your garden, like at at the moment, I have a a dwarf apple tree growing, and I've planted garlic around it because garlic is one of these plants that stimulates mycorrhiza, so what you're hoping for is that you get a relationship in the soil between the roots, which has been proven that the likes of ryegrass and some plants don't stimulate mycorrhiza. But if you put chicory and other types of grasses, multi-species grasses in with ryegrass, ryegrass will get the benefit of mycorrhiza as well, although it doesn't. So this is why in regenerative agriculture, there's a lot of um, promotion of, multi-species grass and multi-species cover crops and it's because diversity is key even in your garden in a flower bed diversity is better than a monoculture so if if you have a diverse planting scheme it's always better for soil and plant health because plants interact you can't see what's going on but uh, we i suppose we underestimate what's happening in the soil because you can't see it with your eye you can't see microbiology with your eye you can see the worms and you can do worm counts but it's it's often said that a healthy teaspoon of soil or a teaspoon of healthy soil has more microbiology than all the people on the planet that it's a it's a huge number and when you're it's, it's another world that we can't see and diversity even in your garden diversity is key to getting a healthy uh, soil ecosystem yeah,
0: brilliant um we're getting towards the end now brian um Unless there was anything about soil or compost that that you felt we hadn't covered, um if if we if you think we've covered everything, maybe then you you might tell us where where people can can look up enrich and where they can find your products.
1: Yeah, sure. I can. Um, no, I think we I think we covered everything. I I, don't, I, I hope I wasn't doing too much talking or not at all. No, nope. uh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's uh, yeah enrich. In, in if you our website is www.enrich.ie We're also on LinkedIn if you look for Enrich Environmental Limited. Uh, We're not doing the whole Instagram or Facebook thing yet, Um, but on our website you'll find uh, where where to buy our products. If it's anything, I mean, we're always happy to talk to customers as well about managing soils or we we like to work on projects remediating soil so you know there's there's no harm in giving us a call we have a team of environmental scientists and if you want to know anything about using our products or how you can improve uh, your soils even in your garden don't don't be afraid to give us a call very
0: good Brian. that's that's pretty much it then uh, thank you very much for for this it was really interesting um, i looked at it at the start and I, I knew, I know how important soil is, I know how important compost is, but I, I, it was a very, very interesting chat and something that we might, we might come back on again in the future. Um, so thanks very much Brian for for coming on today.
1: Thanks John, I appreciate
0: it. So that's been this week's episode, really big thanks to Brian for coming on, it was a great chat, there was lots of, of tips there, broken down into a simple format that you know you can take into your own garden and tips to help you compost and create good quality compost that you can use in your garden and that will improve your garden so as i say great tips there and to hear about the impact that we can have as gardeners on carbon emissions like that was a huge thing I, i wasn't aware of that and yeah it was really interesting to hear that so again big thanks to brian for coming on it was a great chat that's been this week's episode if there's anything you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please let me know. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share gardening friends. You can find us on Facebook, which is John Jones at Master My Garden, and Instagram at Master My Garden. So that's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and until the next time, happy gardening. <music>